What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. Asian bitches done under a podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diasporas in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show via Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a five-star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hey, all! This is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian bitches down under, counting down three days until Valentine's Day. <laughs> I don't know. Is the this laziest, very important? <laughs> heteronormative uh, holidays that we have. Actually, it's not really a holiday since we don't actually get a day off. This is the commercialized type of celebration again. Yeah, celebrating yeah. romance, but you know, romance can exist outside of.、Um, Heteronormative. Yeah, I don't know. I I find it hard. Yeah, I've, I've it's been hard to define. About, yeah, I really find it. I've I've been thinking about how hard it is to define、uh, a um a relationship which you have with your like so called spouse or your partner because it's like、mm-hmm. people usually just say oh your romantic partner but the thing is like um romance is such a strange phenomena you know what I mean yeah like romance I feel like romance should be. Um, unbounded by,、um, I was gonna say sexual love, but a lot of people、mm-hmm. who are in romantic relationships don't have sex, you know.、Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who are in ro- like so-called romantic relationships, there's no romance at all, you know. So、yes. I wonder, like, what is a better way to define this this relationship in which this commercial celebration, holiday, so-called celebration, yeah. yeah、um, it, it, it really is about, you know. Like,、yeah. what would you say, Helen? Like, how how do you Describe the relationship you have with your spouse. Oh, okay. Gonna... You, where where you don't、uh-huh. where you don't have to use the word romantic partner. What do you use? What else do you use? Significant other. Um, I would say someone who is important in my life that yeah, I care. Yeah, but so is your son. And also care for me. As in, we can, um, we can have a life together. As in, you know, we can share everything. Beyond the sense that is just family, and oh, this is this. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Sorry, I didn't actually prepare to. Yeah, I just threw this out. <laughs> I just because I like throwing things out at people because、uh, that's what I do. That's how I work.、Um, I like to throw things at people unexpectedly and see if they catch or drop the ball. Yeah, I'll think about it. I might come back later when we yeah, get into、okay. the topic. Yeah, I yeah. I have been thinking about it because like I I want romance to exist outside of my partnership with my partner.、Mm-hmm. I want romance to exist in my friendship, in my relationship with my parents, with my relationship with you know other you know romance shouldn't be bounded by just. And confined to just one other person, you know.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps poly- polyamorous people might have、um, a wider and more perspectives about this. Useful, yeah. yeah, useful definition. I say,、mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that, yeah, not that I have any interest in exploring that side of society. Um,、mm-hmm. I have always thought I I am incapable of that, just because I am like、um, so easily jealous. Too easily jealous and、mm-hmm. too easily constrained by the historic and traditional notion that 
you only sleep with one person, the person you love, mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, I'm still quite a traditional traditionalist in that sense. You're a bit more. Um, what's the word? More. What's the opposite? Of? Conventional. Not conventional. What's the other word? Oh, polyamorous. Mono- oh, monogamous. Monogamous. Oh, yeah, that's I'm, right. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to my romantic relationships, I am very, very um, unadventurous when it comes to like that kind of thing which like you know I have I'm not judging myself I'm not saying I'm boring I'm just saying that's just how I you know mm, float see. that's how I float <laughs> um, but Helen um, I, I just wanted to tell listeners um, I please excuse the loud rain in the background it is raining in Sydney mm-hmm. uh, how, how, how's it looking up in the central coast Helen it's still very sunny up here so I took oh, nice. the dogs out for a walk this morning and pick up some um, bakery goods yeah, it's still very warm, humid. I th- I'm suspecting it will be raining later. Yeah, hopefully. Oh my god, wow. It, yeah, nice. It is like bucketing where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to launch into what we looked at this past week. Uh, and then later we'll dive into our conversation about Valentine's Day. Um, Helen, why don't you kick us off with um, the books you read this week? Okay, so... I accidentally came across with the um, graphic novel that you gifted to my son years ago. Yeah, Maus, yeah. M-A-U-S, yep. uh, was created by Art Spiegelman. Spiegelman? Mm-hmm. Spiegelman? Spiegelman. 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 Yeah, the yeah, Polish, yeah. Um, Polish-American artist who worked, I believe that he had works with um, New Yorker and perhaps New, yeah, yeah. New York Times, yeah. And yeah, he, yeah. this is a graphic novel, essentially is about a history of Holocaust and, you know, just a story that he gathered from his dad who had experienced through, you know, the 30s and the 40s and just the journey through how he was entered into Auschwitz camp and the concentration camp and also how he survived the the amount of violence that he has endured throughout those years yeah. as a prisoner of yeah. war and what i actually quite like and i enjoy reading it because um yeah. you know graphic novel gives you another sense it's another level of creativity that you don't get as when you're reading someone's novel as in reading words you actually see the visual presentation of the artist how he kind of present the images that was in his brain um and oh yeah i actually quite enjoyed the sense that he presented parts of how he was asking his dad like decades later when they're like at when he's an adult and he's asking his dad and he's like kind of like a present sense of how he created this work um, there's so many things that I felt uh, resonated as a child of uh, immigrant parents is that um, oh yeah there's a very stereotypical uh, image of Jews in America that they're rich and but they're also frugal as in they save yeah. a lot of money yeah and yeah. they always worry about losing money always worry about they can't survive in the future because because it's all because of this trauma they had throughout the war and mm. it's funny that i think this book was first published in the 80s so it's still pretty much um very similar to now that we've seen a lot of parents of uh immigrant parents that they would stay frugal because they worry about you know they can't sustain for the future 
Oh, absolutely. The artists, you know, draw and write about how his dad in his like 70s and going to the grocery store trying to refund mm. something that he's already yeah. used or opened or have half eaten. <laughs> so it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like a humor in it as well. But also yeah. you can you, you can understand why like where they're coming oh, yeah, from. Absolutely. Yeah. What yeah. come into that conclusion of why they do that because they're so scared of not having enough to eat. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, that is that is completely understandable considering their trauma that they've mm-hmm. gone through. Yeah. Um, just thinking of um, graphic novels, and Helen stumbled on Palm Mouse because it is recently controversially banned in, I think, Tennessee or something. Yeah, some schools Texas, in Tennessee. Some, some yeah. conservatives re- blue, uh, sorry, red state mm-hmm. because apparently it has profanity and nudity in it. As Not though, really. like thirteen year olds, yeah. as though thirteen year olds aren't already watching porn every day and also like swearing at each other. I know. Like, it's come on, guys. Really stupid. Anyway, yeah, um, but um, it is a classic, um, mm-hmm. Mouch, and I read it ages ago. I think I bought it in New York when I was there in 2017 because um, I actually came up, I came upon Mouch actually through Arch Beagleman's daughter, okay. whose name I've now forgotten, but she wrote a very beautiful um, memoir mm-hmm. back in 2017. I'm supposed to not tell you about all this or things I'm not... So, something. It's a very nice memoir. Anyway, um, uh, but speaking of graphic novels, I just wanted to give a plug to um, a couple of excellent graphic novels that I have to mention. They're just really, literally life-changing. Um, Tai Bu, um, T-A-I-B-U-I, um, mm-hmm. is the author of The Best We Could Do, which is um, a graphic novel I bought again the in Barnes and Noble. Vietnamese back in 20... Refugees yeah. and that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I read back that in one. 2017. Yeah, I bought it for Luke, um, Helen's uh, son, and uh, that is like just agonizing in yeah, its heart wrenching truth and oh my god it is just absolutely heart wrenching i know it is absolutely excruciating but beautiful um another of my favorite is uh, obviously alison bechtel you can't go past feminist uh you know feminist uh, graphic novels without talking about her alison bechtel's latest one the what is it called the i have it here in my bookshop the secret to superhuman strength um is exquisite about her relationship with fitness all through her life and then often, and then um, one of my favorite people in the world, Liana Fink, who's a New Yorker cartoonist, she um, released a book called Passing for Human in 2018, which is uh, another book that just is absolutely excruciatingly heart uh, heart wrenching and also life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I think she came up with a new came out with a new book this year. Let there. Mm be light um i have to i have to say i have stopped following liana fink a little bit on instagram because um not i haven't actually actively not followed her it's just like i've kind of stopped looking at instagram for a number of other reasons but because she had a baby about six months ago so all of her stuff is now about like becoming a baby yeah Yeah. and i just cannot relate i cannot (laughs) relate so i've just like jumped off that bandwagon I used to keep a running list of women who have disappointed me by going to going <laughs> off to have babies, but now I think I want to have a baby. So you know, um, what's that term? Tough. Um, what's that term when you're like you finish off a sentence like like tough um, tough titties? Not, <laughs> tough, not titties. tough titties. <laughs> I was like <clears throat> go figure. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, go yeah. figure. Uh-huh. <clears throat> go figure that my you know my uh, uh, my thoughts about motherhood has changed. In the last few years. Okay. Uh, what did I want to say? Oh, so your book. I want to talk about um, Claire V. Watkins' book, I Love mm-hmm. You But I've Chosen Darkness. Now, I came across this book when I read an article by Shirley Lee. <clears throat> I believe it's Shirley Lee or someone else um, in The Atlantic. 
and they were mm-hmm. assessing books, recent books uh, about motherhood and how motherhood has been shifting since the since the release of Maggie Gyllenhaal's uh, movie The Lost Daughters. Yes. Have you seen that yet, Helen? No, I still haven't seen that. Okay. I have to yeah. mentally prepare myself to watch oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know, I have spoken to so many women about mm-hmm. this, so many women who are mothers who have not seen this and when I talk to them about it they're like okay I can't watch it I can't watch it but I'm like honestly it's not that bad it's just (laughs) it's just so beautiful it doesn't make you want to have kids but so what people still end up having kids so it really is just you know another film um but uh obviously the film is based on um Alan Affronte's book by the same name and um so I heard about Claire V. Walken's book because in the book she leaves her kid a baby with her partner Mm -hmm. and kind of goes on this kind of like orgy of um drug-induced fantasy i guess back okay. in her own hometown in reno so like she uh, she's kind of like redefining what being a mother means and i'm really enjoying it clever Watkins is most famous for her essay about um how girls usually just watch end up watching boys do stuff i forget mm-hmm. what the actual title of the essay is called but i believe it is part of a book called battlefields that she released many years ago mm. but the essay if you haven't read it is like so powerful and so amazing. Um, so that's the book I want to tell my listeners about this week. Claire A. Watkins, I love you, but I've chosen darkness. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I think it's something... That, the, the book that you just mentioned sounds like something really, really unconventional. It's in the experience. Oh, yeah, it is, Helen. No woman... Well, maybe woman has done it, but no one has really written it down. Yeah. Well, the book is um, unconventional as well. Like, it's got letters in there. It's got, like... It's, her writing is very experimental. Not, it's not very experimental, but it's... um Very new. It's just so... It's so um, different to what I've ever read. I really mm-hmm. love it. I really okay. love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, she is a phenomenal writer. I really like Claire Faye Watkins. Okay, now let's move on to films. Helen, what okay. are some of the films you want to talk about? Uh, I don't know about our listeners, but um, I am a person that watches a lot of sci-fi and kind of not so much violent, but I watch a lot of sci-fi because of my uh, husband. He's a sci-fi fanatic um, and fantasy fanatic. So... He went to see June, the end of last year, at the cinema, and it has only recently been starting to stream on, I think, Apple. We got it from um, Apple TV, so we watched it over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it took us three nights, over three nights, to finish the whole film. Oh, God. Because so long. Yeah. I think it was Ugh. like two and a half hours. I quite like the setting, the layout, the costumes everything you know the atmosphere but mm-hmm. <laughs> story I don't know. so it's a very it, it's like a 20 book volume type of sci-fi series oh, God. but for me it's um my conclusion is that okay it's basically like a metaphoric story about empires and superpowers trying to Uh fight over resources so it's almost like u.s and the europe and russia trying to fight the oil resources in this desert place which is almost Uh like talking Uh about what's happening in middle east so that's Uh my feeling of it but I don't think they had really in- incorporated again. Okay, this is my own my own opinion. I don't think they incorporated enough uh, people of color in the film. And the, again, of course, it's always been centering on the white people. the The major char- the main characters are all white people. 
the white characters, you do have uh, occasional side characters. For example, there are two doctors that are um, one's a one's Taiwanese, one actually is a Taiwanese actor, uh, oh, Zhang cool. Zhen. He played Doctor Yue, and another doctor who is like a ecologist. Sorry, I forgot her character's name, and she's black. Um, oh, filling in the administrative roles, always people of color. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. The supporting roles God, are roll. always done I by roll. the. But isn't Zendaya in there? And she's a woman of color. She's a woman of color, but she didn't appear much on the first part. Oh, this is the first part, so she only appeared okay. like briefly in the vision of this so-called the uh-huh. wine, the prophecy character, the one Timothy uh, who's that? Shem- Shem- Chamelay. Oh my gosh, Chalamet. I'm rolling yeah. my eyes. <laughs> I can't um, stand that guy's face. <laughs> He's so fucking mopey. So fucking mopey. I hate mopey guys. Um, so my takeaway from this film is that Jason Momoa is so weird without the beard. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he yeah. actually shaved. Yeah, wow. Interesting. Part in, yeah, there's a, a couple of scenes in the film that he shaved. So, oh. yeah. Oh, well, um, do you know, um, Andrew and I were doing the quiz last Sunday and one of the questions was like, Star Wars, mm-hmm. the first Star Wars, was based loosely on which book, and we found out it was Dune. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's I didn't know that. Loosely based of the um, you know the storyline around Dune. Yeah, that's what my husband yeah. told me as well. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. see a lot of similarities, like the desert, the very desolated yeah. type of environments that you know Star Wars first begin with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you watch anything? Uh, I love, I absolutely love um, Netflix romantic comedies, those really cheesy ones, <laughs> yes. the, like Hallmark movies. They're my favourite thing in the world. And this week, I uh, I have to say I haven't finished watching this. I will, uh-huh. but I haven't, but I started it, is um, The Royal Treatment, which is starring Laura Mar- Marano. Uh-huh. Now, you may know Laura from uh, other Netflix cheesy movies such as The Perfect Date um, and The Cinderella Story. Uh, Christmas wish and like I, I freaking just love sort of teenage esque um, rom coms with like a <laughs> yes, very tropey yeah like tropes <laughs> that are just like so freaking to the max and like this movie is just like so cringe perfect in every way is it cringe yeah no as well? it's, I love it I love it I love mm-hmm. it like genuinely love it I don't love it ironically I love mm-hmm. it like genuinely okay. and the royal treatment is about um this kind of young hairdresser in New York who like runs this hair salon and um one day like this prince from this place called like Albania or something maybe not Albania L- Lavinia <laughs> some made up country yeah um, comes and like like asks for a um, haircut, mm-hmm. like it's just ridiculous. And then like he ends up asking her to come back to Lavinia or wherever it is oh to do the hair and makeup <laughs> for his wedding. And then you know supposedly we know that um yeah, the story will go. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, the the guy who plays the prince is the guy who played the prince uh, Aladdin in the in the Aladdin. Oh, the recent Aladdin. okay. Yeah, he is kind of like uh, olive skin, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, okay. he looks Egyptian-ish. I think he's Egyptian. Um, anyway, yeah, so um, I cannot wait to watch finish watching that. Honestly, okay. I freaking love movies like this. I just love it. And also, I love I love Laura Murano. Like, she's, she's not, like, the most beautiful woman in the world, but there's something about her that I find very, like, cute and charming. Is this down, down to earth kind of... Yeah, um, like, there's some pictures she looks kind of unattractive, but, like, mm-hmm. she's very... Um, I, I feel like I would l- like to have her as a friend. 
She just seems very she normal. Seems, yeah, she seems like someone who's like next door, kind of neighbory. Girl next door. Girl yeah, exactly. Next door. Yeah. Okay, so this week I want to talk about uh, a couple of a couple uh, of news yeah. items. Yes. Yeah. So start with locally that um, mm-hmm. there's been a controversy about the article in Chinatown, Sydney. So mm-hmm. there's a debate about how we sometimes perceive uh, contemporary art and the traditional values of how the a uh, piece of art can present. So this week, yeah. according to SBS News, the Chinese-Australian artist Susan Chan behind the controversial installation in Sydney's Chinatown has defended her public work, saying that she wanted to use an unexpected colour palette to ring the new, the new Year of Tiger. So the installation has drawn like a lot of angers from the members of local Chinese community and business owners who are saying that the colours that were used for the artwork which was commissioned by the city of Sydney, uh, sorry, the city of Sydney, um, are commonly used to mark as death and are worn during funerals, which added that the palace make the mockery of business hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. So if everyone goes online to have a look, because some installation has been taken down, the artist Susan Chen, that she used um, blue and white lanterns, um, for her, for this work that is displayed in the Sydney's Chinatown, and the main one that people, a lot of people had problem with, was the the blue and white, kind of the flowery pattern fabric that wrapped around a couple of tree trunks in Chinatown. I I found it quite interesting when I was looking up this news. And my daughter uh-huh. was beside me, and she was asking, "Oh, so what is this news about?" And I told her, and "You know what?" She responded to me. I told her, "Oh, there's yeah. people debating about whether or not it's art or is it? It's not. It's not. It's offensive to some Chinese culture. Yeah, yeah. The color is not uh, appropriate for China, uh, new, Lunar New Year." And she said that, "Oh, do you know that art is in the eyes of its beholder?" <laughs> She said that. Randomly came out with that quote, you know. I think it's the origin is like Margaret Wolf um Hungerford's um from the Duchess. You know, the 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 original quote was beauty is in the eyes of its beholder. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and she said oh. Yes, she said that. Yeah, I don't know where she got it from. She said, Oh, I just read it somewhere. <laughs> oh my god, your daughter is I want to steal your daughter. She's so great. So what you mean is that the art is really about personal opinions. You know, the the sense of art is very subjective. So we can get arguments from both sides. Some people consider it's very offensive, um, particularly from the Chinatown business, you know, saying that it's not recognising the the tradition of Lunar New Year, which is um, the importance of following culture colours of red and gold. Um, they say that white and blue are more the colours for mourning and grieving. Like I mentioned before, that the most conspicuous setting was the, the fabric around the trees. Um, I've seen one comment commenting that the fabrics actually look like fabrics that their great grandmothers had used mm. to bound their feet. You know, it, it kind oh, of represents right. okay. the constraint and submissiveness. Oh, um, oh okay. Interesting. And one of my friends said that perhaps the commission isn't really asking the artist to be themselves. You know, right, there's a there's right. a boundary of freedom of expression. Is art is not really conveyed in this event. 
Um, yeah. But on the other side, of course, there's support of the artists saying that it's contemporary. You know, there's a fusion with the new ideas combining with the artistic flair. We have to move forward, mm. like jump out of our comfort zone. Um, yeah. Looking into what we can create in the future, rather than you know stay in the bit more conventional color and the designs. Yeah, yeah. Um, my conclusion for this news was that you know it is great art. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's too much problem of it. But unfortunately, because with the pandemic, you know, a lot of businesses has closed yeah. in Chinatown yeah. and the areas around CBD. It's probably not a good fit for the new Lunar New Year event, mm. and it's always like a little complicated to cross the boundaries between the contemporary art and the traditional value of yeah. the culture yeah 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 definitely and i i don't I, my first response mm. was like oh gosh this i feel conflicted because like mm. i don't want to negate people's criticism because like when you said people's um grandmothers had their feet bound in the color of that cloth mm-hmm. like i don't negate that and i understand it and i want to um, kind of i don't invalidate it mm-hmm but then my, I guess my natural first response was like, oh, everything is criticisable. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, True. I feel like no matter what you do as an artist, you'll be criticised. Yeah. But that is the nature of creating art. That's you know? right. Yeah. You need to make it as a controversial as possible sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then again, um, there has been a lot of controversial culture items that has been misused um, in not saying by creating arts. Um, this is like beyond another level that we've seen you know, throughout the past uh, months that around the globe, a lot of places, especially in Western countries, they're starting to celebrate Lunar New Year's as well. But we're seeing some, like a misappropriate kind of uh, presentation by a couple of institutions. For example, the Guardian's Sunday paper. This is in UK, the Observer. They, uh, one of the picture they want to kind of present themselves showing the diversity, um, a photo of a plate, like a table decoration around a plate of dumplings, but there was Joss paper mm-hmm. <laughs> beside it as a oh. as a table de- decoration. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, that's just ignorant, right? Yeah, that's, that's they a obviously silly. don't know what Joss they, paper is used. Yeah, so obviously they didn't consult with anyone who's actually knowing the culture. For those who don't know what Joss paper is, Helen, explain it. Oh, so it's like a hell paper that we burn after you have yeah. like a worshiping ceremony. So those paper are actually for the people who are, people who go to heaven, who give heaven or hell, or you know they pass. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know there was hell in Buddhism. <laughs> I, mean, I guess there's. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty yeah. sure they are too. You know, polarized setting for. Yeah, that's how religion comes about. Anyway. Um, Another one that uh, someone shared a picture of a Westfield shopping centre decoration. I'm assuming was in front of like a restaurant or something. Mm. There's like mm. bird cages. The colour wasn't wrong. It was red and gold. Mm. But they had mm. bowls of noodles and they had the mm. um, chopsticks <laughs> right on top of the bowl. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so which is a, rude. It's very rude in Chinese culture. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. finally, I saw the news coming out from University of Toronto that, again, it, it, they they have no, con- they must have no not consulted with people who are familiar with the culture. Yeah, yeah. The university uh, in the dormitory, they were giving out red pockets, 
and within the red pockets mm. from what we know we know that the red pockets are supposed to be have money in it or maybe like the chocolate gold coin for the kids um mm-hmm. but somehow i don't know why someone just arranged red pockets to give it out to the international students with joss paper <laughs> inside the red pocket <laughs> so it's like a very silly thing to do. oh my god that's hilarious yeah okay well let's take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about Valentine's Day. <laughs> and we're back and talking about Valentine's Day. Okay, so I guess um, when I was single, this was like something that I was like, I don't know, I feel like I've forgotten what it's... No, I don't feel like I've forgotten what it's like to be single. But I mean like... Um, <laughs> I guess all single people hate Valentine's Day. It's like a day where you're, like, forced to remind yourself that you don't have someone. Someone in your life, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, fucking annoying and insulting. I I think it's insulting, but I think the reason is that a lot of people have come up with how to celebrate Valentine's Day with your mates or with your very, very close girlfriends. Close friends, yeah. Yeah, as in trying to kind of shifting the concept of Valentine's Day is just something that you celebrate with your partner, your spouse, or your husband and yeah. wife. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, girlfriend, boyfriend. Yeah, I think it's so like non exclusive. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's like the most non inclusive holiday. Like, at least with Christmas and Easter, it's like there's no kind of, um, it's there's no priest, there's no confirmed kind of barrier to like, um, who is involved like you can invite anyone to your christmas party usually mm-hmm. family it's a holiday where it's a celebration that did sort of like um mandates two people mm, yeah. and usually it's a guy and a girl yeah very heteronormative and like, yeah and 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 what's weird is that um and 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 what's weird is that it's very like i think i think as feminists we shouldn't be celebrating valentine's day because it it kind of um um burdens it imposes on the guy to do something, mm-hmm. don't you think? It's like there's an expectation that the guy should do something. Do you do you feel that? Yeah, I think because it's a very commercialized, um, Hollywood established kind of celebration that mm. it requires, you know, a guy, the male, to yeah. do something in the very heteronormative relationship, and also really boils down to how the society see a. Relationship. What kind of relationship should be celebrated? Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you still see when, when we see when we say that it is a very commercialized celebration is because we're still seeing far more heterosexual rom coms in Hollywood, and we're seeing more kind of advertising and kind of marketing campaign. It's still really based on one woman and one man rather than a, a gay couple, a lesbian couple, a d- different type of love that should be celebrated, but it's not very mainstream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's... I feel very conflicted about it because there's still, like, residues of me and my t- toxic education <laughs> um, caused yeah. by Hollywood films and Disney that the guy should do something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, oh, um, there is no equivalent for the me- for the woman to do something to the guy, right? Yeah, I feel like it's also it's very what? What? it's a it's a very very big subject to talk about, and yeah, 
it, it's a topic that we grow up um, almost like a preconceived um, presumption that a guy should be doing something because what we see from our parents and what we see as a bigger society and like you said I, I do feel like it's an overrated celebration um, yeah. and I was listening to Jiang Xun's podcast which is a Chinese podcast um, yesterday talking about desire he wasn't mentioning anything relatively to Valentine's but I, I thought that what he brought up was quite interesting he was talking about Plato's theory of Eros which is like the two types of love earthly love and also divine love and the philosophers in thousands of years ago they never really um specifically talk about a heteronormative relationship plato said that humans are basically being this is like a mythology greek mythologies as well um please do correct me if you think that i say something wrong because you know this is like second hand information that i got from a podcast humans are basically being separated from their birth that they always missing their other half mm, but mm-hmm. the humans are not necessary the original form of human is like a combination of male and female or female female or male male so yeah they should be like a normalized ideas about heteronormative couples and also you know gay and lesbian couples not like we've seen in the you know when we were growing up we literally have no ideas about homosexual couples yeah to, no yeah you know, when we're in much later yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I guess um everyone can fall in love you know there's like uh, what plato said there's two types of love there's earthly love and also the divine love i think what he was saying that earthly love it's basically like the lust your physical attractions to someone and divine love divine love can extend more than just your spouse or the person that you have sexual relationship with yeah because divine love it's almost like a I'm not quite sure if it's the platonic type of love yeah. that you can care and love someone, but you don't have to have that physical interaction with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that, Helen, you've incorporated Western philosophy, philosophical, Plato, platonic thought in, uh, into our conversation, centering Asian women. Mm-hmm. Just because it's funny, just because, you know, Western philosophy. It's like the widest, malest, heteronormative. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I um, you to say seriously, that. <laughs> study in the whole entire universe. It's like, if you want a more concentrated, capitalized area of like white male heteronormativeness, go to, go to the philosophy department. Yeah. Go to the yeah, philosophy definitely. department in, yeah. at Sydney Uni or UNSW or ANU <laughs> and you'll find your great bunch of Aussie white males. Um, uh, what, what I was going to say, yeah. Um, so what is love? Yeah. Yeah, the concept of Yeah, love. exactly. Which which I don't want to explore now. I just kind of want to spend this time like poking fun at the ways in which like a lot of corporations and businesses have tried to capitalize on this event. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to answer quickly your question, what is love? Um, I, I'd say for Helen 2, it is dogs, period. That's it. <laughs> yeah, for Helen me. Helen 2 and dogs. dogs is for me, I think it's, um, huh. No, I can't answer it. I'll never know what love is. I think the older you get, the less confident you are in the 
in what love means. When you're young,、oh, okay. you think you, you know what it is, but the older I get, the less I understand it. Which I think is great. I love growing older because you realize that the world is not the way that you thought it was, and you become、mm-hmm. more humble. And I love that education in becoming more and more humble. I find it very、mm-hmm. um, invigorating. For me, yeah. yeah. So returning to my point about Valentine's Day and the sort of aspect of what we were talking about, Lunar New Year, in our previous pod about capitalization of that,、mm-hmm. um, is really funny. In which, like, the ways in which、uh, companies are kind of、uh, celebrating this event, like,、um, for instance,、yeah. uh, there's like a, a, a cocktail company、um, that sells like alcohol. That's kind of like. Starting to send out、uh, PR press releases about like, oh, what are the greatest drinks to make during Valentine's Day? And they're all like pink or red. Fuck yeah! Yeah, it's like just、is、like it- pink, red, anything to do with pink and red is like、oh, Valentine's Day love, all that,、um, and the symbolism, all that. And and then there's、mm-hmm. like、um, I also heard that there are like、um, sexual apps, like sexual health apps that are promoting Valentine's Day is coming close.、Um, you need to drop in for an STI testing <laughs>、yeah. just to like check your sexual health. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really like funny how they kind of twist it. It's like、yeah. this Valentine's Day, we will ensure users have the most relevant, up to date. Information about their sexual health, giving young people the confidence to discuss it openly in a safe、mm-hmm. um, space, things like that.、Um, yeah. I also got like this press release about、um, from Coles, you know, the supermarket,、uh, how like <laughs> they did a they did a breakdown of what each state likes to buy the most. So like Queenslanders apparently love buying boxed chocolates, okay. Whereas Victorians keep it cute with teddies and cards. Oh wow!、Um, and、okay. ACT, they usually buy champagne.、Um, oh, those friggin'、okay. public servants and their you know million dollar paychecks.、Um, and New South Wales can't go past red roses for Valentine's Day. Apparently, wow, that's an amazing breakdown. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a very I mean, interesting. I mean, I mean, it's just the Coles research, you know. So it's、yeah. a it's a corporate. It's a、um, marketing research. Yeah, it's a marketing you know? strategy, of course. Yeah, yeah. and and like forty percent of Aussies give flowers apparently, while thirty percent buy food. I mean,、mm-hmm. this is all like Coles customers, you know. But yeah, I'm not so keen about chocolate because I I feel like the older I get, the less I like chocolate. How about you? I'm more of a pragmatic person, so you、yeah. know me that I'm not. Yeah, Helen hates flowers. flowers. <laughs> which is so、flower. weird. I freaking love flowers so much. I love flowers. <laughs> Hint, hint, is, hint, hint, to my this, significant other. <laughs> But this is this comes down comes down to very individual preferences of what you perceive as love. Because there's a phrase in Chinese. I don't know. I, I guess it's very similar in older cultures. Is that Do you want love, or do you, would you want love, or do you want bread? And how would you can? What do you define as love? Because everyone's definition of love are very different, you know.、Yeah. Some people feel like yeah, giving you a note, like the you know, kids. The purest love I see, yeah, are the kids who just write little notes to each yeah, other. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I you agree.、Know? But when you're an adult and your concept of love changes through. The manipulation of capitalism. You will want more <laughs> from that person、yeah. who likes you or who loves you. You don't want to just like a, a piece of notes, you know. Well, of course, it depends on everyone's preferences. You know, some people will be content if you're if they receive like a 
piece of song, a, a lyric that's、mm. written for them. That's very、mm. unique. But、mm. then some people might be more materialistic. They want more. They want, I don't know, diamond ring or you know, very luxury kind of present. Well, that's insane.、Um, but for me. <laughs> Or even like you know, people do proposals on Valentine's Day, and yeah, who, who? I, no, I, I know, I know, I, I know who exactly. People <laughs> I probably just don't hang out with. But anyway, go on. But、um, I'm more of a pragmatic person, so I think、um, love is a very mundane type of concept that you just spend time <laughs> with someone. And mundane, feel- I love it. Yeah, I think it's just、um, you still have to go through the rest of your life. It's not just because、yeah. of this good celeb, this specific celebration of the day. You have a kind of a hypo feeling emotionally, and then、yeah. you, I don't know, go back to your normal days, and you start feeling disappointed that oh why, why my boyfriend isn't sending me more flowers <laughs> next week or something like that. So, if you just keep it normal, but not so. Extravagant? Then I don't know. What about you? Do Do you like surprises, or do you prefer、um, to have like massive kind of big celebration? Oh no, no way, man! No,、mm. no. I used to be jealous of those people who I read like, oh, my boyfriend took me like to like a surprise trip overseas or something like that, like big gestures. But I've noticed that the bigger the gesture, the shittier the relationship. Often, yes, yeah. Like I know there's no direct correlation, and I'm not saying those people who those listeners out there who whose boyfriends or partners are like doing something dramatic. I'm not saying your relationship is shittier, <laughs> but I've just seen like I've just heard often from what I've read from our I've seen, observations. Honestly, yeah, that yeah. that like um the sort of more performative the man, the more unlikely the relationship will last. I just honestly. Mm. Often see that、um, a lot of people do things like big gestures. It's often just a a show. Maybe it's a show, yeah, or like、um, it's to cover up some sort of innate,、um, deep down <laughs> insecurity. Insecurity, yeah, exactly. Seriously.、Um, again, I'm not saying you know just if you're. It happens、done. with everyone, but it just yeah, our I, observation. Yeah, yeah. I think the most stable relationships, the most loving relationships I've seen myself. Are the ones where there's no ho hum, there's no like、um, fanfare or、mm. performance or big party or、mm. nothing. They're, they're they're the most low key people. Yeah, and they don't feel like they need to show off. You know.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the kind of love that I respect that I and that that I want. I think in my own relationship. Yeah, and I do. I'm lucky. I'm really. I do. I, I we're both my me and my partner are both very chill.、Uh, he is the most like grounded. Stable, loving human being I've ever met. It's just incredible. I feel、mm-hmm. very lucky to have met him. But yeah, I just whenever I see some sort of grand gesture, I remember when I was in my twenties, I just thought, oh, I want that. Like I want a guy who will like take me to a hotel, surprise me, and then like、mm-hmm. have the bed drowned in rose <laughs> petals. Rose petals. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, like because that's what you see in like Hollywood. Yeah, know? I know. <laughs> That's why it's been brainwashed, you know. That、yeah. kind of expectations for women, and then it makes hard for the men as well. You know, it sometimes they're not financially capable to do those things, and they're forced to do those things. And it's kind of like a belief that is not necessarily true and doable for everyone. 
but because it's out there because a woman expects that kind of gesture or otherwise it's not love. Whereas, you know, it comes down to individuals' value on how you express yourself, I guess. Some people might not want to express themselves like that. Yeah, exactly. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts? I think it's such a big discussion about love, but... I think the best love relationship I've seen is from. I probably mentioned this before. It's from our grandparents who they oh, passed right. away years ago already. Uh-huh. But I always admire their relationship in the way that you can see them mature as a couple, but at the same time, they tease each other well into their 70s. And they do yeah, things with yeah. each other as well. That's, you know, they, and they respect each other. That's something that I want in my relationship as well. Hopefully for the next, you know, a couple more decades. 500 years. <laughs> I agree. And I don't have such vivid memories because I was, I'm like a bit younger than Helen, mm-hmm. so I don't remember much about Nanaye here, mm. our grandparents. But, um,. Yeah, I think what I love is see having seen them in their old age and they're both still very playful. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they yeah. were very playful. That's what I really liked. They yeah. just like And also like Barbara and Gerald. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, my my old friends who mm-hmm. sadly passed away in the last 24 months. Both of them. Mm. Um especially Barbara, she just um she taught me that you just cannot take life seriously at all <laughs> honestly she's just like the most youthful person I've ever met she was like in her 80s when I first met her and like um, she really altered some very fundamental essence of me and my personhood by just her her kind of um, absolute youthful vitality and mm-hmm. um, and again just like gives no shit just like whatever whatever it is just laugh about it you just have to laugh about it because mm, yeah. if there's nothing you can do some things in life that are just like the way they are and you just gotta laugh about it yeah that's very true she and her partner I saw her husband were just like kind of easy going didn't take life too seriously mm-hmm. yeah it was great As we approach the end of Lunar New Year celebrations, it is important to remember that many businesses have endured hardship in the 24 months due to the pandemic. As we want to have more optimistic outlook in 2022, I was joined with Shona from Codicon to speak about the importance of diversity of culture in Lunar New Year and about how the event Welcome to Koreatown will revitalize the businesses around Pitt Street in CBD and also to extend the cultural appreciation for the Korean Australians. Here's my chat with Shona. Well, um, first of all, I want to thank you for accepting the invitation to come and speak to our, on, on our podcast. Um, you know, I, I saw you last year, but I didn't get the chance to speak to you personally because we kind of like Jesse met you at the event of the anti-Asian racism last year. And it was such mm-hmm. a wonderful event. And I truly, um, I don't know what to say. It's just such an amazing event, I think. And, you know, as a young person like you, I feel like proud. And I think someone like you actually could speak out about something that should 
you know, everyone should be recognizing a lot of issues that's happening around、um, in Western countries. And with COVID, I don't know how, how you're feeling at the moment. Just want to get a check in on you. How are you feeling? Are you kind of stepping out back onto the normal life? Or yeah, I definitely think there is a lot more anxiety,、mm. given that we've just come out of a lockdown. The case numbers were skyrocketing, and here I am trying to plan another event.、Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are days when I'm like, "Why am I doing this? Like, what?、Mm. No one asked me to do this. Why am I doing this?"、Um, and there are definitely are days like that.、Um, But in those moments, I speak with whether it's the artists or people like you or people in the community, and I see their excitement, and I think that gives me the incentive and the energy to keep going.、Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, not gonna lie, there are there are days and there are moments where it's particularly hard. Yeah, I understand.、Um, don't know if more or less with COVID, but yeah, definitely、mm-hmm. is tricky sometimes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's very understandable. Yeah. Well, anyway.、Um, Maya actually would like to ask you to introduce yourself. Maybe talk、mm-hmm. about your background, your experience. What are you currently working on? Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Shona Yang. I was born in Australia, and my background is Korean. I currently am、um, the founder of Cosicom. So we are a relatively new platform on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. And we celebrate Korean Australian stories, and that journey really started because I've always been interested in journalism and <clears throat> telling stories. And I had this real thirst and appetite for, firstly, Asian Australian content,、mm-hmm. um, but secondly, even to be more specific than that, is the Korean Australian content. And there's a lot of、um, Korean American stories out there, but not so much Korean Australian. So. Yeah, that was that was my desire to start the platform, and since then, having a lot of good responses from the community has been very encouraging. And it just goes to show that there is an appetite.、Um, people、mm-hmm. do want to be seen; they do want to share their stories. Yeah, I can understand that because you know representation matters. Like like what we always say on our podcast that we really want to show a diversity of Australia. That you know, in the past decades. Um, we don't see enough of Asian representations, and it's good that you have such platform to give them exposures and also, you know, the space to freely talk about it. Rather than, you know, you're trying to get on the mainstream media, it's always a bit difficult for people of color. Yeah, and well, speaking of Korean cultures,、um, you know, I, I don't. Like I follow a lot of Korean pop cultures, but we don't really see much in depth about Korean traditional cultures. And while we're celebrating Lunar New Year at the moment, which I'm really happy to see, because in the past decades, I mean, I grew up in Australia since I was eleven. It's always been like Chinese New Year. Until the last five years, that we're、yeah. actually seeing more diverse cultures from, coming from Asia, and people are getting to know that it's not only、um, Chinese that celebrates New- Lunar New Year. It's a lot of Asian cultures. So, speaking of Lunar New Year celebrations, what do Koreans do? Like, what differs from the other Asian cultures? It's more how we celebrate it that's different. I would、mm-hmm. say.、Um, I mean, it's still the Context in that it comes from 
obviously the lunar calendar is still the same, a lot of shared aspects in that sense. But for us, it um, there are some key things that we do. So mm-hmm. eating dokguk is something that you'll hear a lot of Koreans talk about or post on their social media stories during Lunar New Year. It's the rice cake soup. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I didn't know this until recently as well when I was researching content for Cosicom. I actually realized that there's a lot of symbolism behind why we eat that. Um, you know, for example, the shape of it is meant to symbolize prosperity because it resembles like money bags or mm. um, even the color of white. It's meant to signify purity in the way that you eat the soup. And so that's a big part of my personal tradition, but also a lot of Koreans, we would eat dokguk. Mm-hmm. Um and then different families also delve into different things as well. So uh, one of my friends would make different shaped dumplings depending yeah. on her grandparents' towns and, and oh, their yeah. backgrounds, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. And I think that's yeah. Yeah, common for some Chinese communities too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, a lot of uh, food, a lot of eating. We do also have our version of the Red Pocket, but it's oh, um, okay. yeah, little, little cash envelopes. So we call it hebeton. So when we bow down to our grandparents, then they'll give their grandchildren sebeton. Um, so that's always fun. And then there's certain family games that we play and things like that. But, yeah, for us, it's um, it's not as huge um, as January 1st. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, I guess we celebrate it twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's nice to see, you know, more Asian cultures that are kind of having their exposure you know, out and sharing their experiences as well. Because honestly, that like, I didn't know. Well, I do know because you know, there's a lot of Chinese that has traveled to Southeast Asia. Like mm. I have my Malaysian friends and Singapore friends that celebrate yeah. Lunar New Year, but only in the last couple of years we've seen more people that are talking about the Lunar mm. New Year celebration, and it's really good to see you know the diversity of it. Yeah, so um, it's your experience. You're working in um, journalism. Uh, how does your family perceive about your career? Are you currently in journalism besides Codicon or are you working? No, on- so my day job, I work for a charity and I'm mm-hmm. a content manager for a national Australian charity. Um, so they, yeah, they, they love that I do that. They love the cause behind it. They love that it's you know, helping homeless people, uh, people going through disadvantage. So, yeah, they, they really are supportive of that. Mm-hmm. At the start, they they were really um, not sure about Cosicom. They weren't, they, you know, the question they'd always ask is, are you making money? <laughs> yeah, that's the first question that most Asian parents will ask, yeah. Yeah, well, how are you going to make money off this? <laughs> um, so, you know, I would show them videos and they'd be like, yeah, that's cool, but, like, have you made money yet? <laughs> so I had that for the first year and I still get that question a lot, but um, they've definitely become more understanding and appreciative mm-hmm. of it. And I think a big part of that was I um, was fortunate enough to be approached by a couple of Korean media outlets mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of context as to why I started Cosicom, but one of the key push factors was when I reflected on my mom and how much she relied on Korean newspapers and magazines mm, because mm. she, yeah, every time we would move houses, she would have the Korean magazine open and she would flick through and look for removalists that are Korean. Mm. Yep. You know, so she found more comfort working with Korean businesses. And um, I just thought it was really interesting because, you know, print is a really dying medium. 
But yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, the directories and everything is moving on on online now. Online, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yet, still, like my mom would have this affinity with like a printed magazine, and my grandparents still go to the Korean grocer to pick up the weekly subscription of that mm-hmm. magazine. So, mm-hmm. I just found that that was really interesting. That in the community here, it's still a really big presence. So, some of the journalists wrote about Cosicom in Korean. So, I, you mm-hmm. know. I read it a little bit, but not in detail because I'm like, <laughs> but I think having, um, yeah, the story come out in the, those platforms for my parents was really helpful for them to understand why I do what I do. And so it wasn't until the Stop Asian Hate rally that they started to really appreciate it because, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they understood what I was doing. Before then, they were like, it's just, you know, you're just playing around. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a little bit difficult for our parents' generation. I mean, you're 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 a lot younger than me, but my my parents' generation, as in, they rely heavily on print media, and also as our choices of careers, they kind of would ask why you do this because it's not a very mainstream, a very typical um, what's the term called? I'm trying to oh. Um, model minority type of um, job and sometimes they don't see why we're doing it and even though with the anti-Asian rally that we you you did last year and we attend um, I I get some of the older relatives they will say that oh why make a fuss you know why do you want to make a fuss and bring attention to yourself but I guess what you do um, and all the Asians who are coming together to do you know have such events is really to kind of step out of our comfort zone and talk about what is really hurting our community, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a really good point. A lot, yeah, a lot of the older generations are just like, just deal with it, just stay quiet. You can, and you know, that's that's their strength as well, mm-hmm. their ability to do that. Yeah. But I feel like if I don't talk about it, <laughs> sometimes I need to. <laughs> it's my yeah, habit. yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it's good to see. I think the younger generations are coming out to speak up and it's definitely good to see that. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about more about your work on Cosicom. So far, um, what sort of people have you covered and what kind of objectives would you like to achieve through Cosicom? One of the primary objectives that I would love to achieve is to inspire the next generation to mm-hmm. explore a whole new world of career choices, of mm-hmm. hobbies, and passion projects. Um, I guess, you know, my at the time when I was starting Cosicom, and still very much so, the people that are close to me and the people who were closest to me, they're all incredibly creative people. Mm-hmm. Uh, my best friend is um, an aspiring actor and has been in some key roles um, in Australian theatre. Um, I've, I have friends who have their own side businesses crocheting bags. I have friends who are musicians. I have friends who love to uh, do spoken word poetry. Um, and so I see so much creativity around me, yet I felt like there wasn't a space where that was being celebrated or, or even being shared. Mm-hmm. So yeah. naturally, I just, when I started Cosicom, I naturally just started leaning and interviewing the people that were around me. And so we featured a lot of creatives on the platform and the response to that has been huge and still is a primary like part of Cosicom's fabric. 
mm-hmm. um, is to support emerging artists and emerging creatives to give them a platform because sometimes, you know, it is a really lonely ride. Sometimes your family doesn't really understand or sometimes you feel like you're the only one and then in an industry that is predominantly white it's really hard to find that sense of validation so I feel yeah. like Cosicom does try to celebrate the fact mm-hmm. that there are creatives and it shows that Koreans aren't just all K-pop stars or we're not all just mm-hmm. you know um soju drinkers there's a variety of us and there's different yeah. um, expressions of our story and I've met so many interesting Korean Australians and even my perspective is being challenged because before I used to think everyone is like me. Everyone is Korean Australian, um, has gone to church and, and has a very similar upbringing. But I've, be, I've been meeting so many people with so many diverse experiences that that really has been eye-opening for me as well. Mm-hmm. And I think other people as well, they're starting to really be proud of the fact that they're Korean Australian because they see these stories and they're like, whoa, like, yeah, this is who we are. We've always lived under the shadow of who we've been told that we are or who we should aspire to be. But I feel like I'm trying to change that by saying this is what's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this platform is not about me or my achievements, but really it is about just the colour of the community, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Another personal aspiration for me starting the platform is to provide a space where people who feel like they don't have a voice Mm -hmm. can actually feel heard and feel seen. And recently, an example of that coming to fruition in one small way was we had an anonymous submission and it was from one of our readers and she wanted to write about her experiences feeling uh, or navigating the the pressures of the Korean beauty standards Mm -hmm. and hurtful comments that even her family or her friends have have said to her. Mm -hmm. So she submitted that story and when we posted it, we had a lot of incredible responses from other people, both male and females, saying, look, I felt, I feel the same. And thank you so much for covering this because now I know I'm not the only one. And um, yeah, we've touched on some issues around divorce, stories featuring divorce, domestic violence projects. So it's still just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot Mm -hmm. more issues that I'm not familiar with that I'm more than open to sharing stories about. And, And so I think I'm still, yeah, still a lot, but one of the, the key aspirations would also be to provide people with a space they can yeah, they can feel that validation. Yeah, validation and, you know, trying to make it not sound like you're alone. And it's good that, you know, especially kids or immigrants and also maybe parents as well, they sometimes they will feel like, oh, there's the media that I'm seeing is there's nothing resonate with my own life or my experience. Yeah, Yeah. and something like Cosicon really does, you know, push that agenda for more people to see. I feel like when we share, story sharing is very important and it's something like would create and hopefully kind of introduce more empathy for the wider mm-hmm. communities to under, understand immigrant families. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. That's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's uh, talk about the event that's uh, going to be happening this weekend, Welcome to Koreatown. So what's our objective to have this event? How did you come up with such an idea? So th- currently the City of Sydney is obviously hosting a series of lunar festivals mm-hmm. to celebrate um, the, the Lunar New Year, but also to really help revive the CBD because mm-hmm. as a whole, Chinatown, Thai Town, Koreatown have been really significantly affected. Mm-hmm. Um, we were invited to submit a proposal for Koreatown. And so... Mm-hmm. 
I started thinking, um, what Korean festivals have I been to growing up in Australia? What mm-hmm. have I liked and what have I wished there was more of? I started thinking about that. I started thinking about, okay, well, it's Lunar New Year. What do we do in Lunar New Year? Well, a lot of times in Korea, people go down to their um, towns of birth, mm-hmm. their koyang, and then they go back to see their family. But obviously with the pandemic, many of us haven't been able to see family in Korea mm-hmm. or haven't been able to visit our grandparents. So that was a big fabric of, of my thinking. And so combining those two together, I wanted to create a festival that was um, kind of reminiscent of streets in Seoul. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we keep that fabric. We don't have an elevated stage. We've just got a dance floor where we'll have performers on eye level with us. And that kind of reminiscent is reminiscent of Hongdae or Itaewon, if you've been, where there's buskers performing on the streets. Mm-hmm. It's an environment where people are out, they're enjoying their time. And so, yeah, I wanted to recreate that. Um, I wanted to um, give people a sense of identity with Koreatown again because mm-hmm. I noticed that, you know, in L.A., the Korean Americans are incredibly proud of Koreatown in L.A. or New York mm-hmm. City or wherever it may be. But in Australia, because probably because we're quite scattered, we've got Eastwood, Strathfield, Campsie, yes. and then we've got yeah. the city, mm-hmm. yeah. we don't have that sense of pride around one specific Koreatown. And that's not going to change just with this event. But I wanted to provide people like me and people, other Korean Australians, with a visual um, sign that mm-hmm. says, welcome to Koreatown, because I wanted them to be proud of Koreatown. Mm-hmm. So we've engaged a local artist and he's done an incredible job of weaving in the Korean tiger Mm -hmm. into some modern, incredible and great looking artworks that I would be like, wow, that looks sick. And, you know, I've always been to festivals where my parents and my grandparents are typically, it's it's their generation. And Mm. honestly, completely honour what they've done. And this wouldn't be possible without everything that they've done today. So it's not me saying that what they've done isn't important it definitely is for that time Mm -hmm. but there's a whole generation of us that have grown up here that consume a lot of different cultures and that we consume a lot of different media and we want to have something that represents who we are what we like how creative and colorful we are and so I wanted to go with something that was a bit different Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah we've got a team of uh, a team at the moment and we're putting on a great street festival we've got emerging artists rappers break dancers and I've intentionally tried not to make it too k-pop focused because Mm -hmm. every festival that's Korean festivals would be k-pop and I know that there's I know k-pop is already succeeding but I wanted Mm -hmm. to give space to the other areas of Korean musicians Uh that um, are just starting to find their feet yeah, yeah, I totally agree on that. Yeah, I think when when people think about Korean entertainment and culture, the first thing they would think about is K-pop, yeah. and then maybe Squid Game because it's yes. you know it's such a big um it's such a big show last year, and yeah. you presenting you know other creativities artists out there, it is very important for them to have you know been seen as well. Yeah, and I think yeah. Street Festival is such a great idea. Um, it's something that brings people together because you know the last past two years with COVID, the pandemic, it's very difficult for anyone to enjoy such you know events. And now you are having this um, the opportunities to show everyone not only you creating it in a new way, but also it's like a sense of passing down the um, 
the generations of traditions like you said what you know our grandparents and parents having this street festival during lunar new year it's very similar in taiwan as well we we go over to you know the stores when the stores are open and you just browse through and everyone's happy and it's it's similar to christmas but at the same time it's very different Yeah. yeah Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's great to know. I'm so looking forward to it. I, I, I can't wait to take my kids to it. I mean, we're not Koreans. But yeah. I, so, no, please come. Yeah. The whole point is for everyone to come and enjoy mm-hmm. the Korean culture. Yeah. Yeah, so looking forward to it. And because I worked in CBD a couple of years ago around Pitt Street, and I recognized that there's an area that was specifically for a lot of Korean stores and korean uh yeah, restaurants yeah. and yeah. yeah my colleagues already labeled as a korean town back then this is years yeah. ago and we're just happy to see that it, you know having events like this will revitalize hopefully you know maybe the areas and um you know getting more people to recognize the culture as well yeah yeah yes. oh that's lovely thanks for saying those things <laughs> um so can you tell us our uh, our listeners um the actual event location, also the date? Yeah, so it's happening this Saturday, 12th of February. Mm-hmm. We start officially at 5.30pm is when our program kicks off and then we'll have a variety of different performers scheduled throughout the evening till about 10pm when we wrap up. So, you know, we don't expect someone to stand there for six hours and watching everyone. We encourage people to come to Koreatown, um, dine out at a Korean barbecue restaurant or visit one of the mm-hmm. nearby pochas. Uh, can eat around the area, um, eat in Chinatown, eat in Taitown, eat in the area, and then, mm. you know, come back and enjoy another performance. We'll also have um, a handful of fate stalls. Mm. So we've got about four to five vendors coming and, and displaying some of their products. And these are all um, young Korean Australians who have just started like their business a couple of years ago mm. or just starting out. So this is going to be really exciting as well for them. We've got art installations, as I mentioned. We've got a series of cubes that have been painted with different oh, Korean um, designs. And it's also an opportunity for visitors to come and they can actually draw on the cubes as well, which would be mm-hmm. a great touch so you can leave your mark on Koreatown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have a big Welcome to Korea sign sticker on the floor. So there's a lot happening. Um, there's also Vecino, which is a Korean-Mexican restaurant located in the same area as our festival, and they are going to be our venue partner. So mm-hmm. there's going to be an exciting collaboration happening at Vecino with two other Korean-Australian alcohol brands mm-hmm. that have just started as well. So one is Kyopo Soju, which is the first Australian-made soju. Oh, nice. One, <laughs> yeah, one is... Um, East West, and they produce um, seltzers, so soju seltzers, and so that's a first as well in that industry. So, um, yeah, those two brands are going to be collaborating with Vecino to put on an incredible menu combination for people to come through. Um, yeah, otherwise, the other details would be it's located in Wilmot Street. So Wilmot Street mm-hmm. is um, just a little laneway right next to Town Hall and Star Bar opposite Event Cinemas. Mm-hmm. So very close to Town Hall Station. It's a, essentially a walkway through to Pitt Street. And so mm-hmm. obviously Pitt Street is the primary kind of heart of Koreatown, but Wilmot Street is, if you want to have it, the entrance to Pitt Street. So we're mm-hmm. calling it, that's why we called it Welcome to Koreatown because you're walking through that, that little way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, lovely. Yeah, that's so that, that's so great. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks again for coming to our show to speak about your experience, um, how you started CosiCon, and you know to 
um, share the event with everyone. And hopefully in the future, we might have you back again to speak on the other topics. But thank you again today, Shana. Thank you so much for having me. Love your podcast and a huge fan of what you guys are doing as well. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple. Remember to give us a five-star rating and we we'll welcome listeners to send us your feedbacks and any topics that you would like us to explore. See our updates on our socials and make sure you share them with your friends who help us to extend the visibility of Asian bitches down under. And let's continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it for this week and we'll speak to you next time. Take care, guys. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.